0: Welcome on. Thank you for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast. The podcast focusing on see all things full soccer, the DMV, and across the United States. My name is Jose sports writer for the Sports Post. And joining me as always, Mario Maya from Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing all right. I'm enjoying this wonderful weather outside. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's what they say about your porridge. It's just right.
0: Okay. I don't know who's still eating porridge in 2022, but I will take your 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 words and under advisement but in the meantime we'll get into the u.s men's national team in a second but we'll start with what people probably know we're not expecting for us to start with and that is dc united news because even when they're not playing on the field they're making news off the field i mean what is there to say right half time of the washington spirit game on Saturday night. Edison Flores becomes a topic of conversation in the Washington, D.C. region. Why? Because there are rumors of his transfer back to Liga Mekis. Because Atlas, the back to back Lea Meckis champions, have reportedly made an offer to DC United for the Peruvian attacking midfielder, according to Cesar Luis Merlo. And it was then confirmed by Steve Goff of the Washington Post. Merlot originally reported Atlas sees Flores as important piece and has sent an offer to D.C. United. The decision should be done by the end of the upcoming week. And that, quote, this report can confirm that D.C. United is open to the transfer and negotiations are viable and open. Golf confirmed the report and also stated that, quote, Flores, who has been a bust in MLS since his 2020 arrival, it is a low figure, I am told, but D.C.U. may need to cut their losses and move on after buying him for 5 million dollars it would clear some cap for summer signings just a brief reminder for those who are new to the to the circus known as DC United Flores joined the club ahead of the 2020 season a club record 5 million dollars after a strong run with Morelia he has struggled since joining the black and red under three different managers, the only scoring three goals and eight assists across 41 matches. He's still found success under Peru in that meantime and is cur- and was called up as part of the Peruvian national team for the playoff international playoff game against the winner of the United Arab Emirates in Australia. As everyone knows, Flores is currently one of two DC United Designated players with Taxi Fountas taking the other spot. Mario, what are your thoughts on this supposed transfer, the confirmation, and seemingly looking like Edison Flores's days with the black and red are numbered?
1: So I was in the middle of the Capital Cup when this broke, and going like, "Oh boy, here we go." Uh kind of not surprised. Uh, If people who don't know who Cesar Luis Merlot is, he is the same guy that broke the Michael Estrada uh, transfer to D.C. United back in February. So there is a good amount of viability to this. Uh, Yeah, I'm with Steve Goff. If you're D.C. United, cut your losses and move on. Because honestly, it hasn't been a fruitful partnership between the club and player, given injuries, COVID a little bit. Due to the to the pause in 2020. And all around, it just hasn't worked. So I'm not surprised that a Liga Mekis team is after Edison Flores. Uh, I'm just surprised of who the Liga Mekis team is. Uh, in particular, Atlas, who is like we mentioned, the back the current back to back champions in Liga Mekis. And I have a and it's more of a suspicion of mine than if it's not on the report uh he does have a teammate on the Peruvian national team Anderson Santa Maria so he may be co- they may be going out after Edison Flores partially on a recommendation but this is just more of a hunch of mine than actually the, what's in the actual report but yeah i think if you're DC United you would have to consider this especially considering that if the play that it's not worked out with Edison on the club and he's worked out more on the Peruvian national team. Maybe it is time to cut your losses and try to find a much more viable replacement for Edison at this point in time.
0: I will say that following the report's release, you actually got in touch with DC United and they you know the most they could they just declined to comment. And normally in the last time they declined to comment on a story like this was the Parriola transfer saga where I remember flatly being told, we will not have discussions on this matter on, on this ridiculous matter was what I was told by the representative, by the team. And clearly when there's smoke, there's fire. And when you get not just Merlot's considered like the woge of, Western Hemisphere soccer, along with Dean Golf, who has covered this team for over two and a half decades. It is clear that where there's smoke, there's fire. Look, we had been talking about Edison Flores' up and down performances for some time now in this podcast, especially in recent weeks where his performance has gone up. And it has been clear to me that whenever it's time for him to be called over the Peruvian national team. That's when he steps his game up the most. He's had moments in D.C., but I just don't see where he helps the team at all times. And he has a guaranteed contract slated for next season, the final year of his contract. Um, according to these two reports, United would want to get out of it and prepare for whatever big transfers they have, whether it's a striker a midfielder more depth in the cards uh, for a playoff run at this point if you if you've gotten rid of your manager everyone's up for sale like you can't you can't say oh right I'm not going to not go for what I can get you're going to try and get what you know you feel like you need to do to refresh in the roster it has looked stale it has had issues and if giving up on Florida is it, do what you gotta do. For me, I've I've had a love relationship with Florida. I'm not gonna lie to you, you can listen to this podcast. But to me, I he hasn't work. You call it a bust, you call it whatever you want to call it. But for me, I feel like it's just to the best interest of everyone involved that he move on. They've played him in his position and they've played him out of position, but in favorable spots. He has not been impactful. And I told this to you, Mario, yesterday. I said, name me a time where you can honestly say Edison Flores was the best player on the field.
1: And in response, in response, I was like, I can't really think of anything. I would think of moments, but I, I'm like, if I have to go for one game, and I believe he came off the bench for this one was the 4-3 uh, uh, the 4-3 goal fest that was the game against Atlanta United last year and possibly the 45 minutes he played against Toronto this season but you're right there isn't anything to go on where you're like this has been Edison Flores' best game as a member of the black and red it, you just can't find it and he ha- hasn't worked so yeah, I could see, you, I could see you cutting your losses and moving on. And I think we also talked about this yesterday. We could find moments where Marcel another highly paid DP back in the day, Marcelo Gallardo. Granted, he only was here for like a year, and ultimately it kind of didn't work out. But he had moments that you could call back where he was the best player on the team. You can't do that with Edison Flores. And it's kind of weird. You can also do it with other DPs such as Bronco Boscovich. Yeah, I don't know. with Bronco Boscovich and a few other DPs, you can see where they had their best performances as a as a member of DC United. You just can't do it with Edison Flores because not nothing comes to mind. Yeah, he's had like flashes of the pan here in the pan here and there, but it it's not been consistent. He's been very inconsistent, and especially considering that you're playing him on the wing in his natural position. It just hasn't worked, and you don't see it. So, yeah, cut your losses if you're the team and and figure out how you move forward without Edison Flores. And, yeah, you are correct. He tends to show up prior to when it's time to get called up for the Peruvian national team. And I think for some fans, that has to be one of the most frustrating things.
0: Look, I'm not here to talk crap behind this. Floor. I feel like the, the, what I will say is compared to a person, the, when they make these young DP purchases, any team, whether it's DC United, New York, New, Jer- New Jersey, whatever they're called now, uh, Philadelphia, whenever they get these young Players from South America or Central America. The goal is to transfer. It's a clear goal. Like they're they're going to transfer them out so that they can make money off of them. That's fine. But he came up at the same time as a couple of rookies came in and onto the team from our academy system. And yet, we have sold one of those guys who has played the same amount of games
1: and. and Honestly, scored and, the same amount of goals.
0: Exactly, and so I'm, I'm kind of like that's my comparison. I don't compare him to other DPS really. I compare him who came up at the same time, who plays similar positions. Pariola came back from a knee break and outshined him in lesser games last year.
1: Tor, and, it was more like he came back from a torn ACL and. I want his, uh, another leg injury that he's picked up. A, sw- a,
0: leg, a, leg, a leg break. It's simple. It's just a leg injury that took his whole year out, and he fought his way to come back during COVID. He didn't need to do it just to play the final game of that season. And so when I see that, and then, you know, Edison did try. He had that one time where his face ro- broke apart. and But when I see little things come out, and 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 you see his attitude, and you see how much the club has coddled him. Once COVID was over, they said, forget coddling. He needs to stand on his two on V. And clearly, they don't trust him to stay healthy or trust him to take the mantle away and become this leader. He's just not there. Kevin Paredes. They say here's the wheel. He went and. He became who he became, and then he got sold, and he got to his European dream. You know, even though he wanted out of D.C., you can say that Parriola did almost everything he could for D.C. and did more with the limited time he had because of the leg break. It is important, whether it's injury, whether it's call-up, and I will remain saying this. Lisa Chakarai said this. Peruvians perform better for their national team because they want it more with their national team, not as much as they want it with their clubs. And it is very evident of that when you watch Flores play with DC United, there's never that extra step, that extra run, that extra motivation. Paul was a grinder. Ken Paredes was was Andy Nahar when Andy Nahar was 16, 17 years old. A grinder, a baller, I'm going to go all out. He just never got that from Edison Flores, and it made it impossible if he had European dreams and success, successes to want to do for him to get to that that with DC United because he never pulled that extra gear out. We never saw
1: that from him at all. No, and it's kind of sad because, I've, like I said, we we've, we've seen him play with the Peruvian national team before, and he goes that extra mile. And it's kind of fascinating that that he does that with the Peruvian national team, but was never really able to do it with DC United. And it's got it. It was frustrating at times. And the other two guys that were playing your position were absolutely out there giving it all they got. And Kevin Paredes ended up being sold to Europe. Well, I think I think what uh what ends up happening is DC United thought. Here we're getting this really dynamic winger that could do several things at the same time, was able to do it in Mexico. We're going to get him for a pretty decent price. And you thought you would have yourself like kind of a Miguel uh, Miguel Almiron situation in Atlanta, who they brought in for cheap from Argentina and was able to sell him at at a pretty premium price to Newcastle. But it just never it just never came to fruition with Edison Flores. and at this point it, it's it's more or less like, okay, this isn't working. We need to find a way out.
0: Yeah, we'll keep an eye on what happens and again, he hasn't fully left. like these are reports, very confident reports, mind you that we both can possibly say are close to factual. Uh, but we'll keep an eye on it, and we'll see. Um, right now, Edison picked up a knock, did not play in the Sunday friendly against uh, New Zealand. Yeah. Yes, I got the I got the little short-term memory, but I remember it was uh, New Zealand. <laughs> but uh, we'll see if he plays a factor uh, for Peru going forward. And if he will return to D.C., I will say this is the time of year where Clubs and MLS, they're going to make a move. They're going to make that move before they come back from the international window so they can pack them up and get them out uh, for the move. So we'll keep an eye on it and continue reporting on it. As the information comes in, uh, we did have a local match. uh, And no, it was not the Capital Cup. It was (laughs) the Washington Spirit who took on Gotham once again, as part of their NWSL schedule. And the team has been riddled with some of the injuries and, and COVID protocol after a weird first half where they struggled or not able to get that one, that extra goal to tie the game and ultimately lose on the road, one nothing. Spirit were coming in with four straight draws. However, thanks to Midge Purse, creating a play with uh, a midfielder, getting the pass, and then getting the ball barely past uh, Aubrey Kingsbury. Guess the only goal of the match. 13 players were ultimately missing from this game, including Trinity Rodman, who had to go through Kelvin protocol. Kelly O'Hara still dealing with that bothered hamstring. Tara McCune also out because of foot injury. Chris Ward, in a over three-minute, just not even tirade per se, but more of like, like a three-minute, let me get this out, attack the league, attack scheduling, just just everything about the fact that this is not safe. This is another it's week where they're playing two to three games a week. They played earlier in the week against Orlando, where they got the 1-1 one, one draw. And in that 1-1 one, one draw, mind you, they got the goal, but they surrendered the lead in stoppage time. Surrendered two goals in stoppage time for the 2-2 two, two draw. So more just let the league have it.
2: Frankly, we're playing people who are exhausted. In in some ways, there's, there's no other way to say it. They're exhausted. And, you know, you come in, you play three games in a week, The other teams played one game in a week. What are you supposed to do? You know, there's no magic formula. We, we do as much as we can. We give them as much as we can to recover and eat and drink and stay off their feet. And, you know, other teams are sitting back and they're hungry and they say, okay, we know they're tired. If we jump all over them, then we'll get that. And so we give up a shot 30 seconds in and everyone is kind of scrambling And it's, it's one of those things now if uh, we have, I guess I, I, you know, I guess we have like three starters or so or what our projected lineup was at the beginning of the year, three, maybe four starters on the field and everyone else is out injured or sick. And so it's one of these things like you want to talk about player health and safety and you have to understand all the things that go into it. And, and that's where I think that the scheduling of these games in the way that they have doesn't take it into account. And so if you go back and you look at Lionel Messi, the very first year he started at Barcelona, he played three games the very first year. And then he played six games and then he played 12 games and then they bumped him up and he was playing 30 games a year. And then he eventually gets to be able to play 60 games a year. But if you go back and you look when he's whatever, 16 years old, 15 years old, that first year he doesn't play that much. And there's a reason why he has to be built up to be able to deal with that kind of load from a physical perspective and a stress perspective. So now you've got people who are a little bit older, but they're still coming into grips with that load. And it's even more exacerbated by the fact of if they're not in all the time and then they get thrown in and they've got to do 90 after 90 after 90 plus travel, plus expectations, plus, you know, being frustrated with the results. Like that's the thing that people don't really understand, I I guess, is that it's, it's one thing to talk about the health and safety in terms of what happens on the field and some of the tackles and some of the positions that players are put in. But it's a completely other thing to talk about just the fact that players are exhausted, and that's unsafe.
0: So, Mario, from your vantage point, what did you think of the result as well as, you know, Chris Ward's thoughts on the spirit, not just needing a break, but just ultimately how the league – we had this discussion before. Three weeks ago, he brought this up. And I feel like now everybody's getting to see that Chris Ward is really pissed about this.
1: Well, he didn't have a child on his lap this time, though, while doing it. So <laughs> there, let's start with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can tell they're tired. They, they they've started what they started off the year, played like three games a week in the last two months or so. So you're well, down because
0: they, yeah, they start the challenge cup was the original idea was the tournament was going to be this suppressed thing in a month. And then they never came up with the dates for the championship game. Well, they had the dates for the championship, but then they said, oh, the league's going to start the week before the championship game. And it was like, why are you doing that? And no one still to this day knows the answer to that question.
1: It's wild to me. You can tell they're tired. They're exhausted. Michelle King now has to have a separate fund for every time the league's gonna find Chris Ward at this point, because he comes out with he just comes out roaring with fire to every press conference at the at this point, and he's got and he's right. This is pretty unsafe. Look look at the players that were out. With a a combination of injuries and COVID protocol. COVID protocol, that's something a little bit totally separate, but yeah, you could tell they're tired. They need a break. Like whatever opportunities they had, they weren't clear because, again, just goes down to fatigue. They're really exhausted. I'm with Chris Ward. Give them a break already.
0: Well, in terms of the game itself, I felt like they were losing bodies as the game was playing. Ashley Sanchez took a hard shot on the ribs. She got taken out of the halftime. You could tell Andy Sullivan was like, if it was fatigue or if it was injury, it wasn't clear. We asked Chris Ward. Um, kind of wasn't clear about that, but it sounded like it was uh, already a pre-made decision. And here's the deal. Like... The majority of these players have national duty, and it's not just the American ones like Sanchez, Robin, Sullivan, O'Hara. We're talking about Rodder as well. Rodriguez, who got some more playing time the last two games, more than likely will be called up to Mexico as well. So you're talking of the upwards to six players being called up to their respective national teams in the upcoming weeks. Uh, there is an international week coming up in two weeks. And ironically enough, this is a, the, the Spirit get another week um, where they'll have another midweek game. They play midweek in Chicago to face the Red Stars, who they drew a week ago. So it's just it's just you if you watch the game, you see that you could just tell that a player's off their step. Either they normally make that run, or they normally get to the ball, and then you just don't you see them stretching it out a little more. Or in the case of Emily Sonnet in the goal, you could just see Emily Sonnet is just like she's, and it's early in the game, it's around the 20th minute, she, she's tracking back, but it's like there's confusion involved, and then Midge Purse is open. And so, and I gotta say this, like, I agree with Chris Ward. His assessment of the game and how Purse wasn't 100% her best. But when it comes to the Spirit, she seems to relish playing the Spirit. Uh, I remember from the moment she's come in the league, it's like something about playing against the Spirit. She just has a knack at either scoring goals or being the best performing player or or getting on a few balls. So having that aspect and the aspect of a rivalry game, you know, Chris can only do so much in terms of trying to motivate his players. Uh, at one point, he, he even tried to tell the referees that, you know, my players being targeted. You audibly hear it in the broadcast. But sometimes the players have to put the ball away. Actually, Hatch had two opportunities. One was a breakaway. but She had a clear shot on goal, but the goalkeeper made a good save on it. It was just hard. The Spirit just never had that final ball, that final chance, that last step they needed to get the goal in. And, look, they have another midweek game against Chicago. That's going to be rough, but I do think that at some point they they will get their rest. They're going to have to trudge it along. I, I feel bad. I feel bad uh, having this conversation like this. But they have to play Chicago, and then afterwards we'll see what happens. I kind of then they have North Carolina on Saturday. The rest day will be coming soon in two weeks. <laughs> like, I kinda, again I feel terrible. The the spirit have really been hard done by this schedule. For those who don't know, the champion of the NWSL will normally plays the Women's International. Champions Cup, the ICC for those who remember the failed attempt of bringing Europe to the United States. They do tournaments now, whatever. <laughs> those friendlies, they do a women's version, and they were gonna play the Champions League champions and Leon, the FA Cup champions in Chelsea, and then Portland. And this was all gonna happen in Portland, and they withdrew. Why? Because they want to use right. it to. They want to use those two weeks for rest. Again, if you have not followed the spirit, if you're new, a lot of people are new to the to to the spirit cauldron, if you will, because of their success last season. This is a thing that happens when the spirit finally gets good players. For some reason, because they're good, they all get called up, and this tests your bench and your depth. Guess what? Some of these players aren't ready, and then when you have players injured and you have players in COVID protocol, it makes it worse because now you're digging into the deep part. Alexander, we talked about it during the Challenge Cup, needed minutes. Oh, she's getting those minutes now without Robin. And Rodriguez, we talked about her. Mexican International needs minutes. Oh, she's getting those minutes now.
1: Oh, oh, a lot of these depth players are definitely getting minutes now.
0: I actually can't wait for the day that – Kingsbury can't play because then Devin Kerr may actually get a start. So <laughs> I really like we're going to see more Devin. Maybe that's what we're going to see this Wednesday is maybe we're going to see because we don't know how those players are going to be out of COVID protocol. So maybe they'll rest a couple players. Maybe we'll see Devin Kerr play officially on the NWSL regular season. Um, But I do think it is concerning for a league that wants to put its stars in proper moments to display their talent.
1: Also for a league that wants to that's championing like championing uh player safety and health and you give your rating champions this grueling schedule.
0: Well there was no thought process in my opinion or you know not not thought process but it goes back to that argument of when do you want this league to end in terms of, like, the the, the date, right? Right now, October seems to be the, the the time this league ends, October, November. Well, when should it start? You know, like, uh, they've already started preseason in February at this point. So should it start sooner? Should it start earlier? Challenge Cup, Should it,
2: they're putting money in the players' faces, as Chris Wolf said okay, so we've got now 13 people who are out, 13 people who are out and there's no other relief for it. There's no other help for it. And we still have to play three more games. So if you're looking at it from our perspective and going, you're putting our players in a dangerous position. There's all of that. That's a reason why. And players who are fatigued are more likely to get injured. And so everything that you would imagine has come true. And That's a function of being successful to some degree, it is. We played more games than almost every other team last year. And then we lost a bunch of people to the national team and they had to stay fitter for longer without getting a break to go into January camp, to go into She Believes Cup, to then come in and to do this super compacted schedule, to have money, because they're not paid enough, to have money be dangled over them as something that they need to go after instead of being able to build up safely. And now we're here. Now they're going to have to go off into qualifying again. And like, what what are we supposed to do? We have to put a team out there. We'll get fined if we don't, but it's just, it's completely maddening at this point that this is the situation. And I know that everyone else sees it, but there, you know, there's no two ways around that. unfortunately, And we just, we're going to have to try and get through it the best that we can. I give the players a ton of credit for the way they came out in the second half. Um, But they started the first half like crap and they know it. It just, it wasn't good enough. They get under the caution. Some of that's fatigue and, you know, some of it's not knowing. And all of a sudden you're scrambling, you're scrambling, you're scrambling. You give up a goal. Now you're kind of in the game. You feel good. And then we dominate the rest of it. But when you've got, like I said, 13 people out and there's only, three, four starters on the field, one of whom's in goal and isn't likely to be scoring a lot of goals, um, then this is what you end up with. And that's just the reality of the situation.
0: I think there's so much to change, but in terms of the schedule, Chris Ward's going to have to do what he's got to do. I do think that there's elements in this team that are still there, but there's going to be heavy rotation. And he's going to have to watch also that rotation and see if those players are – ready to go like because yeah they were coming off of four straight draws sometimes a draw is helpful unlike <laughs> what Hernan name thinks um a draw <laughs> can be helpful as we get closer to the playoff race and so
1: Hernan all didn't believe in draws to begin with let's let's start <laughs> let's start there <laughs> so well i
0: i do hope that these players get healthy and are able to come back but it's very clear there, As you notice there's not been much analysis in terms of the game i watched the game i watched all 90 minutes and there's positionally like there's very little to discuss because even the players in different roles in different positions like it doesn't matter really because it's clear it's evident that the players are running ragged like, One player mentioned during her press conference that she just, they're trying to play but not complain about it. And that's pretty rough to say.
2: I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a lot. It's everyone's um, playing huge minutes. We've had every, almost every player step off the bench um, and play for this team. Um, But I think it's important for us not to play the victim. Um, We need to still be getting results and getting points out of these games. Um, So we're not going to make it an excuse.
0: Heck, Their own COVID reserve player got her first minute as a it's a professional. That's how low in the total poll we're talking about here. So hopefully the Spirit can get time to recover before they go get Chicago in the midweek. <laughs> I
1: hope they get, like, days of taking naps real soon because they need it, dude.
0: Well, hopefully they do get it. I agree with you there. Um, let's end this podcast with a quick chat about the U.S. Men's National Team. They played this Sunday... Against Uruguay in a friendly preparation for the Men's World Cup coming up this December because why yeah. money? That's why. Um, Jesus Ferreira failed to convert. I'm reading associate press copy, so get mad at me, U.S. soccer fans. <laughs> Jesus Ferreira uh, failed to convert a pair of first half chances as the U.S. That draws was
1: shock to absolutely nobody. Come on now.
0: As the Americans drew. 0-0 against Uruguay on Sunday in their second of four warm-up matches this month. That's pretty offensive AP. You don't think that the, the CONCACAF Nations League is a is is an important affair. We have to call it a warm-up match, okay, sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then, also you failed to mention this uh, AP. The United States are the current defending CONCACAF Nations League <laughs> <laughs> champions. How dare you I um, recognize the United States in such a matter?
0: well <laughs> uh, Ferreira had their best chances, but both mm-hmm. were either saved or whiffed. Um, I'll I'll defend them on one of those, which was the fifth. Was the cross from Haji Wright? Um, from DeAndre. A, I mean DeAndre Yellen, which ends up kind of like bouncing off his face versus a header to you know. It, it kind of flies over the bar. Um, Edson Cavani missed a sitter with uh, <laughs> in the third minute of stoppage time in the second half. Mario, what were your thoughts on the USNT's performance? Did anyone stand out to you as an actual good performer?
1: Um, that's kind of a really tough question. I don't think anybody really stood out in this game at all for both teams, actually. Uh, it was an okay affair. It had its moments. Christian Pulisic tried. At least there was a full crowd of Americans to cheer him on this time and <laughs> do didd- a didd- diddly squat.
0: Um, Kansas will do that for you. They'll bring out the Americans, which we said
1: would happen, but okay. <laughs> also, there's a lot of Uruguayans in the crowd. I was like, man, where do all these Uruguayans come from? <laughs> But so, I will say
0: this, of the players that really did stand out, I thought that the all the midfield trio showed why they are the starters. Tyler Adams, Weston McKennie, and Eunice Musa reminded us all why they're the starters. I know that a great commentator of ours is out here trying to spill
1: some I, hot I, tea, just, just no but that it's was, not
0: not working. It's not no, working
1: uh, if you haven't read Twitter, uh, a great commentator on ESPN wrote that Eunice Musa was the poor man's version of Darlington Nagby. That's not true. No, it's mm-hmm. Darlington Nagby was playing Virginia Tech at the age of 19. Eunice is out here playing Barcelona at the age of the 19. They are not the same.
0: I thought the midfield did a great job. Once again, we had a weird center back pairing per se. Joe, one thing I will say this is playing at the left, the right back position is a rough position in this 4 3 3. And anyone who knows Western, the Western Hemisphere knows there's just a gobble of wingers that are ready to tear you apart at will. Joe Scally was teared apart at will by the Uruguayan attackers and not in like a bad, like, he got teared apart by even 30 plus old Edison Cavani.
1: Like 34, 34 year old Edison Cavani.
0: Future DC United striker
1: Edison Cavani. They torched oh, him. How off target he was in the 91st minute. Yeah, that is definitely a future DC United striker right there.
0: <laughs> they look, I think Joe Scalley is an is an interesting prospect, but he's not
1: ready. He's oh, not he got part by Guillermo Varela, by the way.
0: He got a lot of people to him apart. It was a collaborative effort. The Uruguay, and, and there was a moment at the water break, and I th- and I want to thank uh dozens of sideline reporters pointed this out. Um, that there were, if the water break, you would see. That there was a that Great Barhalter was admonishing Joe Scally's play because he was caught ball watching a lot. And it was clear to me that he was a cup ball watching a lot of worldwide opportunities came on Joe Scally's side. And he fixed it a little bit, but in the second half, it continued. Uh, they kept continuing picking him apart. And he, he got attacked. And, and look, he's an interesting prospect, he's still young. But I said it before we came on the air. Like, everybody keeps talking about he'll be ready for the next World Cup. I want him to be ready for the, the Gold Cup. That should be his World Cup going you forward. You
1: need to be ready for powerhouse nations such as Panama and Grenada.
0: Like, it sounds funny, but it goes back to what I said earlier. This hemisphere has a, a, a litany of wingers and... Wide backs that are ready to attack you at will, and if they get just their so, little—that's what some
1: national teams in CONCACAF are. It's just nothing but wingers and wingbacks. So, I I do
0: want him to get more accustomed with what they may see, what he may see going forward. I just—if you ask me—I'm going to the World Cup tomorrow. Joe Scally wouldn't be on my roster, to be honest with you. I need someone who can handle the wing back pace. And yes, not everybody plays like Urwai, but still, the international game, when you have a good wing winger or wing back play, you need your defenders to be on point. And he just there were several moments where there was a lot to be desired defensively.
1: Yeah, I don't think that. Also, like what people tend to miss here is this was Joe Scally's first game. With the U.S. men's national team, so it wasn't a great debut. Again, not saying that most debuts for some players go off, go off with a bang. This one went off with more of a whimper, and him wishing he never saw a 34-year-old Edison Cavalli charging at him for a good chunk. It of was time his
0: first, start. yeah. It was it was his first start, and he yeah. got his debut. The, during Morocco, but yeah, like, I agree with you there. It's kind of a yeah, it, rough it, way to
1: start. <laughs> it's a very rough way to start. You can all, you're, you, you is he, like 19 years old? He'll learn eventually. It's just, it wasn't great. And you could you're being considered to be the replacement for Anthony Robinson in that position. And he laid an egg. It was bad. But not as bad as Jesus Ferrero out here, just missing shots on goal. Let's talk about the other elephant in the room, the number nine position. Oh, uh, boy. Look, I get it. It wasn't his fault that the ball bounced off his face. But, bro, you had a whole open net. That's the other issue I have with that. It's not the first time that you've been caught. Actually, man. Missing the goal with a wide open damn net. Come on, man. And I'm starting to turn it. Like I'm starting to believe in Joseus Ferreira a little bit here. But man, you gotta make those. You gotta make those.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a moment, not the cut job, but there was a moment on the Univision broadcast where they were like, with the U.S. benefit playing with a false nine. And I like wanted to cut them off and say, yeah, they tried that. It was Clint Dempsey. Remember that with, 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 with Jurgen
1: Klinsman? Where he tried We're that? just want to refer to certain Jurgen Klinsman tropes here, but. <laughs> you know, like, like, yard. Like, you got to make those. Haji Wright didn't do anything today, and he came in for Jesus Ferrer in the second half. And he scored a a penalty kick against Morocco on Wednesday. Yeah. So. I- you have to kind of address this issue. If we're going to address the right back situation to see who's going to be the replacement for Anthony Robinson when you need it, boy, we got to address the number nine position, cause that was a revolving door throughout the whole octagonal, throughout the whole World Cup qualifying process. It still continues. Jesus Ferreira. It was wide open, my guy. <laughs> what? Make those. I'm just saying. The reason I only defended
0: coming off his face is because the ball came out a little quickly, but you know me. I always go – I'm part of the striker federation. I totally agree with you. His header should have been down, not skyward right. I'm a little more mad at the shot that he had. Was it early in the second half where it kind of just floats into the keepers? like. Keeper has to make a save, but it wasn't like a dangerous one. Oh, it was like in the 19th minute. That's right. Yeah, it's in the 19th minute, right before the header. Um, where he had a 15-yard shot, and the goalkeeper. Head. I'm kind of more mad at that because it's all about location, and I'm kind of only upset with Halter like, with the positioning he gave pariola pariola kind of came, he came in for Weston. But that's much more of a midfielder role versus a complete and utter like attacker role. And so Paul's not to be effective enough there in the midfield, like to unite and to work together off of his area there. So we didn't get enough time to see them play together. And I think, had they had the time to be together on the field, we may have seen a little bit more of what we see at FC Dallas, that one-two pass touch. But I do agree with you. I, I I, don't know what they can do other than call Josie out the door up and see if he got a shot. But I'm just like – it seems well, like that you train might, has sailed. Well,
1: you, you also want to call up the ashes of, of uh, Eddie Johnson while you're at it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, There's someone on Twitter right now going – there is a 19-year-old playing in the Estonian third division that came on vacation four years ago to the United States with his parents for two weeks to <laughs> Orlando. I think he can make an impact for the United States. His name is Timothy Kulisevsky.
0: <laughs> I'm just, I'm just a bit perturbed to like. It's clear, and you see it similarly with D.C. United. You can like the, the same thing. Jesus Ferrer does the work offensively and tracks back to help the defense set up the counters and he helps with the press. But at some point, how much do you weigh the defensive effort over what they can do when you have those opportunities? the World Cup, opportunities are very limited. Teams are going to play very conservative. They're not going to give up a lot of space. So you have to be prepared to when you have those opportunities to take advantage of score. Does the United States have that goal scorer outside of Ferreira? Who's gonna make a goal? Once in a blue moon? Not just once in the move. You can count on making that sub. A lot of coaches doesn't do this. 75th minute. You make a sub, you tell the striker, just go out there and be a striker. You can't tell that to Jose Ferreira. Ferreira needs to warm up to a game and get into the game, get into the rhythm of a game, and then he can then go out and play. Is is Pepe going to be ready? I don't know. It, it, I'm kind of left speechless on the striker ropes, to be honest. I don't know what the best answer should be or – should they play with a false nine again? Who do you trust up there? Can Christian do it? I mean, he's done it with Chelsea. I I I am perturbed and confused. I don't know what to do with the striker world at this point. And it's weird because technically a World Cup would have been happening next month and we'd be confused about the striker world. We're lucky it's happening in December if this is how our striker pool looks like. Where you don't and know. You gotta
1: fix it up. And like, honestly, if anybody watched the Wales Ukraine game today, Wales defended like hell the last 25 minutes. So you know, you're gonna have to contend with that and possible future DC United DP signing Gareth Bale on the other <laughs> end. So it it's it is it's very disturbing that the nine role has been such an issue, and it's been an issue for the majority of Greg Berhalter's tenure as the USMT coach. And we're months away from the world cup and you still haven't figured it out. Yeah. I mean, I
0: I don't know what to say. Like, (laughs) like Tim Weah plays good on the wing. I don't want him to be that nine. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know what else to add. Like, Tilleman is a midfielder. Brendan Anderson, it's clear that he's the better off on a winger or midfield role. Jordan Morris, do you put him back at nine? He doesn't play that in his club, but could it work again? Maybe. Might have to put Jordan Morris back there as a nine. Uh Pariola, I already know that experiment doesn't work. <laughs> but do you if you're gonna go with that false nine, who's the guy who's gonna do that pressure for you? It may have to be Paul, but like it's that's what we're running into right now is who can be that guy, and I kind of feel bad for Ferreira because we saw him in that Salvador game and he had similar open sitters that <laughs> did not convert, and it happened again today, and. I I hope that the U.S. can figure it out against the powers of Grenada and El Salvador as they enter S- CONCACAF S- Nations.
1: S- powers right there.
0: As they prepare for their CONCACAF Nations League affairs. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I hopefully they figure out a solution to the issues going forward.
1: Yeah, and if all else fails, we could call it Jazzy Zardis.
0: That seems to be the only guy that see, that will helped to trust in this weird thing that <laughs> calls a formation. Colorado,
1: Colorado Rapids superstar Jazzy Zardis.
0: Yeah, superstar who was traded a month ago. But that'll be enough for us in this episode of the Battle Breeze MC podcast. So before we let you go, Mario, tell the people where they can find out more about you.
1: All right, if you want to figure out what I'm working on or you want to see how my coverage of the Capital Cup is going, you can follow me on Twitter at Mario Maya One. You want to know what's going on in the world around you or just in the DMV, you can follow El Tiempo Latino too on Twitter at El Tiempo Latino. You can go on their website, eltiempolatino.com. And if you want to donate to my fund of finding a proper US striker somewhere in the third division of Lithuania, you can uh, Get yourself a hard copy of the new El Tiempo Latino or go to your Leco Metro station today.
0: And as a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Omana for more. Special shout out, as always, to Cam Cloud and Incotech for the intro and outro music. Remember to rate and subscribe, as always, on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Battle of Exactly podcast, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Adios.